On an Easter just prior to COVID, I had this stone out here, and we asked a question from the passage read just a little bit ago in Mark 16, and that passage was, who will roll away the stone? That was our question. And when we asked that, we then began to unpack this passage here, how the ladies had with anticipation made their way toward the tomb. They were there when the tomb had been sealed, when the rock had been put in place. They knew that it was bigger than them. They knew it was a problem they could not handle on their own. But when they came to that place where the tomb is, they then saw that the rock had already been moved. They were absolutely amazed that something so heavy, something that seemed so permanent, something that seemed so fixed, something that seemed impossible to them, could actually be handled and taken care of for them. It was absolutely amazing. It was a beautiful situation. And in that message, we were talking about how the Lord is the answer to all of our situations, to all of the stones we have in our life, to all of the big rock questions that we have. Why this? Why now? Why me? All of those things in life that we have, and that God can help us with all of those. But today, I want to shift that question a little bit, and I want it to be like this. What happens after the stone is rolled away? What happens three days later after the stone is rolled? What happens a month later after the stone? What happens three years after? What happens a decade after the stone is rolled away? What happens to our lives? Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ even matter at that point? Does he make any kind of difference in our life beyond just that moment that does just kind of nod our head and say, thank you for raising from the dead and it's all good? I think it does. Throughout history, we have seen the impact and the influence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have seen many churches like this and countless other styles built across the world where people gather in his name, where people gather to recognize him, to read his word, to sing the songs of the faith. And we understand that universities have been started and schools, small schools, grade schools have been started around the world in his name. We know that hospitals and clinics have been started and some of you have helped build them as you've traveled all over the world helping to build those kinds of places. We see that organizations like the Samaritan Purse, the Red Cross, places like World Hope International that give prosthetic legs or wheelchairs to people, places that give shoes and maybe even some sort of medication for sicknesses that are happening. We've seen all kinds of organizations like AA introduced to people that are looking for hope that there is a higher power. There is somebody bigger and more than. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to be alone. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has shown us that there is forgiveness for everyone. For the scripture says that all of us need the Savior and all of us can find him. He is Jesus Christ. It tells us there is hope. Where in our life sometimes we feel stressed out. We feel maxed out. We feel like all of our resources are gone. Yet, in those moments, we understand that he can give us hope when it seems like a hopeless situation. The Apostle Peter found this out. He received the hope that surpassed understanding. And then we realize that we're all looking for eternal life. If COVID taught us anything, it taught us that life is quite temporal. We're here for a little while. We're like a little vapor, and then we're going to be out of here. Some of our friends passed away when COVID was at its height. And we know that our life is just here for a little while, and then we are gone. So we learn that we need eternal life, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ provides the answer for that. Peggy Key was driving 
her family to church on an Easter Sunday morning, and while they were headed to church, she was explaining to her small children that they were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And her three-year-old piped up from the back seat and said, is he going to be at church today? (laughs) Well, he's in heaven, and he's alive in our heart, and that's the power of the resurrection. So today, I want to consider four ways the resurrection of Jesus Christ impacts our life right now and our eternal future. And it's beautiful and it's powerful when you think of it. Since the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, we can believe that Jesus is God. The scripture told us in prophetic words that he would indeed come to earth, he did. It told us that he would live and walk among humanity, and he did. It said to us that he would be crucified for our sins, and he was. It also said that he would be raised from the dead, and he was. It also said that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is. This is exactly where he is right now, making intercession for us. The Bible gives us scriptures like 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, Jesus Christ. He is a true God, and he has eternal life. Jesus says something powerful in John's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 18. We ask the question, well, who crucified Jesus? We say, well, it was the Romans. They did it. That was the Jewish people. The Sanhedrin were really pushy about this. Yeah, they did it. And then we get real honest and real serious and step back just for a moment and say, who really crucified Jesus? And the answer shifts just a little bit in its understanding and it comes home to us. You know who crucified Jesus? We crucified Jesus. Our sins, what nailed him to the cross. But you know what? Really, he did it willingly. So did we really put him on the cross? He said this. He said, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to. And also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Jesus would say in John chapter 14, verse 19. Because I live, you shall live also. He's speaking about our future with him, the future of life that we can have. Many people have believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In our passage today, Mary and the other ladies, they go there to the tomb. The rock is rolled away. And they're thinking, well, who stole the body? The body's not in there. What to do? And Mary, by this time, with all of the emotions of everything that has been going on, she is crying, has all of these tears. And as she is looking around, she sees a figure standing there. And with the tears, she can't see who it is for sure. And she says to this person, this image, she thinks it's a gardener, says, where have you laid him? Where did you put him? He's not in here. And then he spoke her name. Man, when Jesus speaks your name, something happens. (laughs) When Jesus calls your name, When he knows all about you and he still calls your name, his love for you is definite. His love for you is complete. His love for you is more than adequate. He calls calls her name and immediately she recognizes him then and she wipes the tears away and she wants to tackle him with a hug at his feet and he says, no, don't do that now, but I want you to do something. I want you to go and tell the disciples and I want you to go and tell Peter. Be sure to tell Peter. Go tell him. I want you to be sure to go tell Peter about this as well. Well, they believed, and many people right here believe in Jesus Christ. And we can believe that Jesus 
is God. Josh McDowell, whom I had the privilege of meeting, was going around a number of years ago, he still speaks some, but he was going around a number of years ago, he would go to universities, secular universities and Christian universities, and perhaps he came by where you were. He originally, early in his life, believed there was no Christ and no death and no resurrection, but somewhere along the way, he decided he wanted to prove there wasn't. So he went around to all kinds of places researching to disprove the claims of Jesus Christ. And sure as shooting, he was going around trying to do this, and the more he studied, the more he learned, the more he realized Jesus was a historical figure. Jesus did live. Jesus did die. And Jesus is risen. He realized this for a fact because he had studied the evidences. Many others like Lee Strobel and countless other people have tried to discredit Jesus. But at the end of the day, no matter who you are, when you really get to the bottom of all of your questions, when you get to the end of all of your, all of your asking, <laughs> there you will find Jesus with his arms open wide for you, with his heart of love ready for you, and with his eyes of mercy looking at you. This is Jesus. McDowell would say it this way. When he began studying, either Jesus is Lord, or he's a lunatic, or he's a liar, and he found him to be Lord. Now suppose, as the illustration would say, that your father was a great orthopedic surgeon, and you were 10 years old, and you had twisted your ankle while you were coming down the stairs, but you've got a dance you're planning on attending in just a few weeks. Now you're 10 years old and you're, you're really thinking about this dance and you want to go to it. One of your first times to get to do something like that, right? What to do? Your dad comes home, he has all of his scrubs on, he's been at the hospital working on people all day. And now as your dad comes in, into the room, you say, Dad, we've got a problem. I messed up my ankle, I can't walk. It's ruined everything. And your dad says, tell me about it. You say, well, I twisted it really bad. Nobody can do anything for me. There's nothing that can happen. I guess I won't be able to go to the dance. And your dad says, oh, I think I can fix it. And you say, no, you can't. You don't have a clue how to fix my foot. And your dad looks at you and says, boy, do you know what I do for a living? I know you go to the hospital, but I don't know what you do. He says, tomorrow we're cutting class for you. You're going to go with me and sit in the operating room and you're going to watch me. You're going to see what I do. And the next day you ride to work with your dad. He puts on his scrubs. He goes into the operating room. He doesn't ask other people how to do anything. He is a commandant. He speaks and it's done. He works and it happens. He sews it back at the end of the day and the person is made well. Now, what in the world is happening with this? You get back in the car with your dad, on your way home, your dad says, son, I put ankles together, I put shoulders together, I put hips together, we're gonna to put some ice on your ankle, you're gonna be well, go ahead and practice your moves, you're going to the dance. You and I don't understand everything about God the Father. 
We don't understand everything about salvation's plan. We may not understand everything about Jesus dying on the cross. You do not have to understand it all, but just know this. He loves you. He came to earth. He died for you. He rose from the dead, and he offers you forgiveness of sin and the possibility of eternal life. That's Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness in this house? I will tell you something else. Since the resurrection of Jesus Christ has happened, since it has happened, we're free to start over in life. You and I are free to start over in life. Mary Magdalene, the lady that raced to the tomb, looking there to see if she could put the spices on Jesus' body, just to delay the decay a little longer, the deteriorating smell, she goes there to this moment when she would really worship him and really be there with him, just his body. She had had seven demons cast out of her prior by Jesus. One demon would be horrible. Seven demons, tragic. The Bible doesn't tell us, and historians don't necessarily tell us everything that that meant, only to know that it was very, very horrible and very, very bad. She found no solution, but when she came to Jesus, she found the answer. He cast out those seven demons. That is a powerful, powerful truth. She needed a start over. She needed a mulligan. She needed a do again. Peter had said to Jesus before Jesus was crucified, I'll never deny you. If all of these other guys do, you can count on me. I got you. I will never deny you. And you know what happened? Unfortunately, three times he denies Jesus. He sees Jesus and the look that Jesus would give to him. Peter goes out and your Bible says that he wept bitterly. Have you ever wept bitterly? He wept bitterly. He didn't think it would happen. He needed a restart. He needed a do-over. Today, you might need a do-over in your life. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and 6, all we, like sheep, have wandered off and gotten lost. We all do our own thing and have gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on him, Jesus Christ. Through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I are offered a mulligan. There's a movie coming out on the 18th and 19th. It'll be shown in a lot of theaters, not every, but a number, even in our area. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to center on Pat Boone. He's 87 or whatever he is now. He's 110 years old, and he's going to be in there. You know, he sold millions of copies of albums. Did you know that? He's more than just a has-been actor. He's already acting in about, what, three or four movies right now? So he's got it going on. But one of the things they do, they go out golfing. But you know what they're doing with the young guy who is a dad and the husband and all of that? He's so busy in his job, he's so busy in his life that he's forgetting the most important thing. And the point of it is, and the reason for the title is, when you're in golf, if you're golfing with your friends and you, you line up, but you line up and then you do a whack of man, you smack that ball. You think in your mind it's going to be a good one. And he goes vroom, way over here in the woods. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, if you're among friends, what do they do? There's nobody behind us. Nobody is looking. The ranger isn't around here. Drop another one. Call it a mulligan. You drop another one. And this time, you hope not to hit it in the pond or in the woods. You hope to hit it right on down the fairway. But in your life, in my life, there have been times when we put it in the wood, man. We put it in a pond. Have you ever done that? I have. 
Oh my goodness, a decision I didn't think I was going to make, I did. thing I didn't think I'd do, I did. And I had to say, oh God, help me out. Pablo Picasso painted about 13,500 paintings or something like that. You may have one in your home. (laughs) Then again, you may not. I'm not sure. In 2006, Steve Wynn owned one of these, and he was going to sell it to Steve Cohen, who does hedge funds and etc. And the price that they had decided and struck was $139 million. Steve Wynn has a little bit of trouble with peripheral vision, and he accidentally, while showing that painting, put his elbow through the canvas. He didn't mean to do that. The sale went up in smoke just like that. They then hired someone to come back and meticulously seek to reattach the threads, sewing them together, and they put them back together. The person that does the research stuff for Steve Cohen was able to research that and looked at that and said, unless you knew where that had been broken, you would not even know that it had been broken. Isn't that powerful? That's amazing to me. In 2013, they resumed purchase and sale talk, and they sold it for $155 million in that sale. They needed a mulligan. You may need a mulligan today. We are free to start over because Jesus Christ is resurrected. Sitting right out here in this congregation, people like you and me, and some of you come to church and you think, well, I don't know if church can handle somebody like me. Let me tell you, the church has been able to handle someone like me, me, Kevin, so it can handle someone like you. Right over here to my right is my friend Joe Gastoni, firefighter, strong dude, big guy, provider for his family. A guy is my friend and I respect. He is someone who gave his life to Jesus Christ and has provided for his family, and sold out to go with God. He needed a mulligan. And this June, one of the signs of his walk with Christ is his sobriety of three years as he celebrates this June. He's sitting right here. And sitting right over here is Rachel. Rachel, a friend of ours who unfortunately took a path that she would tell you took her into places she never would have thought she would go. Tried every drug that is available. But sitting in the prison cell, said, God, I've had enough. I cannot do this on my own. Help me. And God in his mercy has reached out to her and has touched her and has turned her life around. And she is free from those addictions. And she's sitting right there right now. Ten years seem like a lifetime. Who will roll away the stone? There's one who can roll away the stone. The power of Christ can roll away the stone. The God we serve can roll away the stone. And in the first service, there was a fellow sitting right over here. He is pulling in on 30 years. He was part of the motorcycle situation and part of life that he doesn't want to talk about too much. But God, God, and God came into his life 
and change him around. And he's celebrating 30 years of victory. And he's walking with Christ right now. And I praise God for that. Right here in this congregation. What happens after the stone is rolled away? I'll tell you what happens after the stone is rolled away. Rachel is now counseling and helping people that were in the situation, that are in the situation she was in. Butch says, you can tell my story anytime. Joe says, I'm a testimony of grace and faith. He said they were having a campfire at their home. Last year he was telling me, and he said as we had a campfire, we had Christian music playing. Probably wouldn't have been the case a few years ago, but it is a case now because whom the sun sets free is free indeed without condemnation. And he can do this for you. And this is what we're in the business for. And then we are emboldened to tell others about Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, the scripture said, they didn't want to tell anybody. They were afraid. But the Lord had told her, go tell Peter and the disciples. So she leaves his place to go tell them. Can you imagine their surprise when she comes in? They don't necessarily believe this. And so Peter says, I got to go see for myself. You ever met anybody like that? I have to go see for me. And he books it over there. Boobity, boobity, boobity. He books it to the tomb. And he gets over and he looks inside. The grave clothes are folded up. Like a carpenter when they finished a project would fold up their clothes and lay them aside. That is how his clothes were folded and laid aside. It is finished. He has done the deed that he has come to do. And wow, he realizes Christ is alive. And all of the other people that realized Jesus was alive. Many, many, many people, eyewitnesses of Jesus. And when Acts chapter 2 in the Bible, a book called Acts, within the Bible, when Acts chapter 2 happens, the disciples and the other people, there were 120 of them, sat in an upper room. That's a room above another room. It's an upper room. I've been in an upper room. Pam and I and some of you have traveled to the Holy Land with us. We've been able to go in the upper room. And when they asked me to pray in the upper room, I thought it was a great privilege. And so what do you do when you pray in the upper room? Well, what do you do when you're in that upper room? I said, why don't we be quiet in case the wind starts blowing again? So they were in the upper room and they had prayed and they were in one accord. That is, they were all getting along. First, it looks like they're in a Honda, but they weren't. They're in one accord. And while they're in this one accord and they're praying, it's amazing how the Lord comes through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, who had been localized like he was either on the Sea of Galilee or, or he was over here in the temple, now he is given to everyone who trusts in Christ. That's how you get the Holy Spirit coming into your life. And it's an amazing thing whenever you receive the Holy Spirit through salvation. It is absolutely amazing. And the Holy Spirit came away. And so what happened was he went out on the porch. I've been there. I've been to the place. It exists. And he stands up. And he begins to speak. Listen to this. He begins to speak to people. And he says, this guy, Jesus, that you crucified is indeed who the prophets have told us about. And he begins to tell these people about the salvation of Jesus Christ that he has provided through his death and resurrection on the cross where they had put him. He's no longer hiding. He's no longer somewhere wondering what's going to happen to him. He is out there risking everything he has and sharing the good news. And 3,000 people believed on Christ and were saved that day. It is absolutely powerful. The other day I was over Turkey Hill. It was later on in the evening. It was dark. And I went over there to get some stuff. And when I did, um, I went in and uh, there was the guy working there and another employee. And then there was some other guy I'd never seen. And Turkey Hill, they all know who I am. I don't know how. I don't know how. (laughs) 
So I'm there, and while I'm there, one of the employees calls out and said, Yeah, how you doing, Reverend? <laughs> Man, I couldn't hide. I could not hide at all. So I'm doing great. How you doing? You know, I'm just trying to come in here and give me a little something and get on out of here. And so I'm trying to do my thing. And uh, pretty soon he starts talking to everybody. say, yeah, that's a reverend across the street. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a pastor over here. He's a good guy. You can trust this guy. He's all right. So I go out and get in my car. And I, I start it up. And one of the guys he introduced me to was walking that way. Did a U-turn and started coming back and yelling at me. And yelling my name. And finally got over to where I was because I'd moved my car. I put my window down. And I said, what's up? He's in tears now. He said, I can't live this way. You've got to help me. You've got to help me. I cannot go on this way any longer. And he told me his story. Not a good story. I parked my car and got out. And on the sidewalk of Turkey Hill, I prayed with him and explained to him how Jesus loves him cares for him, and has a cure for him. We are emboldened to take our story wherever, wherever. It is a story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our cousins, Daryl and Terry McCarthy, both educators, both doctors, wonderful people. Daryl has taught in Ukraine, has done all kinds of Zoom seminars now from a distance from U.S. side to there. About a week ago was doing a Zoom call. He has people from all over Ukraine in his Zoom call. He is talking about leading in difficult times like Moses. And as he is, as he is teaching on his Zoom call, nine of the 24 provinces, get a load of this, nine of the 24 provinces have their air raid sirens going off. He said, I've never taught a seminar where people were engaged and yet air raid sirens were going off. His pastor friend from there and uh, told him after they had finished the call, he said, you know where the people are going now after our, after our Zoom lecture that you just shared? Some of them are going back to put their military outfits on because they're going to try to protect their village, their home, their families. Some of them are going to go try to help children and women get out of this place because they need... Some are going to go try to help people who are so broken and lost and so confused and don't know what to do. They're going to try to be Jesus to them. We minister, ladies and gentlemen, we minister Jesus to these people in a difficult hour of life. And some of us are so stinking soft in our Western culture, just any little stinking thing can set us off to where we do absolutely or very little of anything for Jesus. We get embarrassed. We get bashful. I pray to God that he will help us become so enthralled with what he has done on the cross and that the tomb is empty to where we say, yes, you can count me in. Nothing's going to hold me back. I am on fire for Jesus. You have my whole life. I am all yours. Sold out for God. And then we have a very clear future in a very uncertain time. I have never experienced Easter quite like this Sunday. It feels different as I'm up here preaching. And I preach about 30 of these. But it preaches a lot different today. It just feels different. There's a difference among you as a crowd than any time I've ever preached before. COVID has changed us. It has changed us. Everyone among us right now realizes 
that life is precious, life is a gift, and all of us know somebody that passed away from COVID. When it first happened, it seemed like a foolish thing and like a made-up thing. And then we thought, well, they're yanking our chain, and then we realized, no, maybe they're not. And then as we even live out here in the rural areas where we live, it eventually started coming here, and they said early on, you're going to hear about COVID, then you're going to know someone with COVID, and you're all going to know someone that died. And the sad fact of the matter is, I preached a number of funerals, and preaching those funerals of people that passed away affected and impacted by COVID. I hate COVID. I hate everything about COVID, except I know this, it has brought you here today, and you online today, and I welcome all of you, and in the parking lot, and out in the lobby right now, and those that will watch this later, it includes you as well. Some have already said, but I'm going to be watching later. I, I'm talking to you now too. Let me just say this to you, that we realize our life is a vapor. It is a gift from God, and we realize that one day it is going to be gone, and we want to make sure that we absolutely know where we're going and I know in first service, they were sitting here just like, go ahead and give us a bottom line, guy. Give us a bottom line, because that's what we want to know. My wife and I had relatives visiting from California uh, a year or two back, and we went over to Jim Thorpe, and they had the train ride. Anybody ever been on a train ride in Jim Thorpe? You've been there, right? And the conductor was coming down through the train, and the conductor stopped by my chair, and that's him. I got a picture of him while I'm handing him my ticket. He took my ticket. Well, Albert Einstein was on a train one time. Albert, mad scientist with the cool hair. He was on a train one day, and the conductor came by, and he couldn't find his ticket in. The conductor said, that's all right, I know who you are. The conductor went on, and when he came to the end of the car, after collecting all the tickets, he turned back, and he sees Einstein down on the floor looking for his ticket, looking by the seat, looking around, feeling around. He goes back up to him and says, Mr. Einstein, it's okay, we know who you are. Albert looked up and said, I too know who I am, but I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> what about you? Do you know where you're going today? The disciples were certain of where they were going. They hadn't been clear before, but they now were certain of where they were going. And you and I can be certain of where we're going. Jesus was talking to Martha. You remember Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Sound like a band, but really they were brothers and sisters. Mary... Martha. He's talking to Martha in John 14 and verse 25, uh, chapter 11 and verse 25. And he says this, before he resurrects Lazarus at that time, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after they die. You and I are going to die in our bodies. They're going to die. And um, we know that. As a matter of fact, in the last year, I was riding with a funeral director, and while driving along with him out to a cemetery, we had a long drive ahead of us, so we chit-chat about all kinds of things when we're in a funeral car, kind of deflecting what we're really there to do, and uh, then get back on game face when you get to the cemetery. So as we're riding along, I realized he needed to talk, and I needed to listen, so I started listening, and he started talking. And he said, you know, I was asked to go talk with his family. The old guy was near the end, and he wanted to be cremated, but his wife did not want him to be cremated because she wanted to be able to have the family gather around, the, you know, the grave and have the casket and lower it and do all that you do with that. And they asked me, the director said, to go by and explain to him that they don't want him to be cremated. They want him to be put in the ground in a box. So he says, 
It really wasn't my business, but I did what they asked me to do. So he goes over to the house, and he starts explaining to him, hey, you know, your family's not real comfortable with this, but let's think about it. Have you ever been to a to a funeral, yeah. Have you ever gone to the gravesite? Yep, been to the gravesite. You know how that grave is all open? It's just like it's blown open. And you know how they put the box in there and then they'll cover that box up? Yeah, I got you, I got you. He said, think about the next time that grave's going to be open. For you who believe in Christ, he says, he's going to come back and he's going to receive you. You're going to blow that grave open. So if you let him put you down in there, it is a symbol to the family of the time you're getting ready to come back up out of that grave. They can look forward to that. Why don't you? And he said, okay, if that's what it means to you and if that's what it means to them, I see what you're saying. I'll let him go ahead and do that. Now, do you remember Joseph, the coat of many colors? If you do, say yes. In the Bible, you studied about a little guy's dad gave him a coat. His brothers got jealous. They sold him off. Eventually, he ends up going to be the second in command in Egypt. You remember that? He's second in command. Eventually, he dies. When he dies, his body does like everybody else's body. It began to decay. It eventually is a pack of bones. Everybody say bones. That's what you're going to be someday. And so <laughs> they, they put these bones in a box. Do you know what the box means in a Hebrew whenever you're talking about this box he was put in? It means hope chest. One day we're going to come back out of that grave. One day we're going to come with Christ and rule and reign. He teaches it in the scripture. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The Lord Jesus Christ has triumphed and he lives forevermore. And he provides salvation for all who call on him. I want to land this message and I know you want me to. So let's do it. Doug, Raquel, and Parker are our cousins from Missouri. We have a number of family there, of course. Parker had just graduated sometime early, and she was feeling good about life. She was riding with a group of her friends, and they weren't really horsing around. They were just driving along, and they came over this little incline, and there was a, a metal jack, not real tall, but it was big enough in the road. It would have ruined the car if they had hit it head on, so... The driver swerved, and in swerving, lost control, and Parker lost her life in that accident. When the people were coming by at the funeral viewing, they call it, there was a young man that stopped in front of Doug and said this, I wanted to date your daughter. I wanted to date her. And I told her I did. And she said this to me. Parker said, if you want to know me, you're going to have to know Jesus the way I know him. That's who I am, a follower of Jesus. She tweeted this. She said, God said to me, Parker, you're going to get hurt by doing this sometime, but continue to show my love. If I can help somebody else, she says, even when I'm hurting, I have done my job. Hashtag be obedient. On a podcast last week, Pam and I were listening to Doug and Raquel tell a little bit of their journey now that they're out a ways from it since Parker's death. Raquel said, I focus on heaven now. 
Things just aren't that big a deal to me anymore. I have more compassion for those people that are grieving. But I mainly have a focus on heaven, and that's what gets me through. I'm looking so forward to the day of heaven, and it keeps this life from being so crummy. It's going to be wonderful. Even through COVID, she said, I wasn't afraid. The thought of seeing my child again excited me. Doug, what did this death teach you? The moderator asked. Well, this experience has changed me. It's changed my walk with God. It's different now. He said, I used to just, you know, go to church and not really spend much time with God. Not the way I should have been. But my prayer life has changed, he said. It's changed completely. And my request now is no matter the situation that my life glorifies God. Powerful, powerful. Then he says this. And I want you to get this. If you're ready to receive it, please say yes. If you're ready to receive this, please say yes. My daughter is in heaven not because she was a great kid, but because she had a relationship with Jesus Christ. The point is, you have got to have a relationship with Christ. It is true, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus Christ came, was born, lived among us. It is true that he died. It is true that he rose from the dead. It is true that he's alive and was seen by many. They watched him go back into heaven. He created gravity. He reversed it. He went on back into heaven. The scripture says he's seated at the right hand of God the Father right now to make intercession for you and me. That's a big word, but what it means is, very simply, to hear your prayer in mind. The invitation of the scripture is to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Some of you say, well, I haven't really done anything that bad. As I witnessed to a fellow this week, he said, well, you know, I hope I can get in when I get there. I said, sir, you don't have to hope. You can know. Christ offers a no-so salvation, not a hope-so salvation. And I said, his death on the cross was not by accident, it was for you. His resurrection was not by accident, it was for you. And his offer is not by accident, it's for you. You have to receive him. Have you received him? I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. If you've never opened your life to Christ, you could repeat this quietly right there where you're sitting. Say it after me. If you've already done this, that's fine. You don't have to do it every time it's done. But if you have a lot of guilty distance between yourself and God, go ahead and do it again. Go ahead and renew your commitment to Him. You don't want to just be a Christian on Easter. You want to be a Christian three weeks out, three months out, three years out, 30 years out. Until the day when it comes your time to check out of this life, nobody have a question where you're going. Everybody know because you're walking with Jesus. Oh, my stars. <laughs> that is incredible. So here's a prayer. If you're ready to pray, let's all bow our heads. Could we do that? <clears throat> you can close your eyes if you want, if that helps you. Block everything out. You don't have to say it out loud. Just Father in heaven, I thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus, I thank you that you came to earth to make a way for us to get to God. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your offer to forgive all of my sin. I invite you into my life right now. If I live for you or live on this earth another hour, 
or if I live another few years, whatever I have, I give to you. I give you myself. I give you my influence. I give you my voice. I give you my mind. You're giving me heaven, Lord. I give you all of my resources. Leverage them to influence more people to the hope you provide. For doing this, I give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you get from here to three weeks from now to three months from now to three years from now to 30 years from now? Let me tell you how I started my day. When I got up, I did whatever I had to do immediately to, you know, we've got a dog and all that stuff. So did whatever we had to do immediately. I got my Bible and I read a passage that I didn't preach from today from the Bible. And I was strengthened reading that chapter. I went into my bedroom and uh, I don't have really good knees, but I decided to do it anyway. I knelt down beside my bed and I prayed. I didn't just pray about this service. I said, God, I love you. You are so awesome. Thank you for your gift of salvation. You see, I just opened the communication with him. When I stand before you now, I do it with a clear conscience and a clear heart. That's why I enjoy what I'm doing. Is because I know that this is what he's asked me to do, so I'm doing it. It's just that grace, great release of doing what God wants you to do. And I'm growing in him every day. I'm learning more about him, learning how to be more like him. And then he shows me opportunities. I could go on and on about those opportunities of interact, and he shows me every day. Some of you walk in here often, and you know what I know about you? There's a certain atmosphere in this place that you, you can't get enough of. Take him with you today and do what we call practice the presence of God. This afternoon before the day's over, I'll have Christian music on in my house. Well, Kev, you went to church. I'll have Christian music on in my house. I want no weapon formed against my family to prosper. I will pray over all my family. I text each one of them and told them I was proud of them today and told them I was praying for them today. Because I want them to win. I want to encourage them. That's how you grow in this. That's how it's more than just Easter for me.